You are listening to the Quarter Transmissions Episode 4. And now, here are Craig and Jeff. to episode number four of the Tricorder Transmissions, uh, The Naked Time. We are your hosts, Jeff Hewlett. And Craig Cohen. All right, Mr. Cohen. I have a couple of uh, Star Trek-related news bits we can talk about. Are you ready for those? Oh, yeah. You know what? This is awesome. I mean, to to uh, to have Star Trek be in the news for us uh, every week uh, right before we're getting ready to do a show. Yeah. So I, I'm kind of trying to, to siphon down some of the news into just uh, TOS related news. But uh, there's there seems to be, uh, you know, news about some of the characters, some of the newer shows or newer movies. But I try to strip it down to just the uh, ones that may be relatable to what we're talking about. So uh, first big piece of news it looks like this week is um, on November 19th of this year, the uh, season five of The Next Generation hits Blu-ray. And the reason why that's kind of tied back is that's the season that uh, features the unification double episode with Nimoy reprising his role as Spock. Okay, cool. So if you haven't seen that, uh, that'll be available on Blu-ray. It's a pretty interesting episode. So you see what Spock has been up to uh, after his time on the Enterprise, where he's been going. He's an ambassador, so he's out there doing things politically. So it's interesting. (laughs) On the series, not the movies, but Mm -hmm. on the series... what, McCoy also showed up on The Next Generation, and did Scotty show yep. up, or was he just in the movie? Yeah, no, Scotty showed yeah. up. He showed up on an episode, and uh, McCoy, and, uh, yep, and I think yeah. Spock, but I don't think anybody else did. I think that yeah, was it. Yeah. So, yeah. that's good if you're a TNG person, uh, or if you're a TOS person, and you want yeah. some, uh, some more of the old characters showing up again, that's a good one. And uh, this is kind of a cool one. Uh, George Takai uh, is to be the Grand Marshal at the Cincinnati Oktoberfest in Ohio on September 30th. Oh, wow. That should be a lot of fun for yeah, people over in Ohio. Cool. Yeah, I was a little jealous. Like, that would be something pretty cool to go to. Yeah, it's probably going to be something like, oh, my, are you all ready yeah. for the Oktoberfest? Hey, you do a pretty good Takai <laughs> there, man. I'm impressed. I got to base it up a little bit more, but yeah. Uh, yeah, that you was know. good. You know, uh, he he sort of developed a, a a unique voice in the in the you know the last decade or so that uh, is a little <laughs> bit easier to capture than when he was on the original series. Oh yeah, he certainly did. I've I've heard him on uh, the Howard Stern show several times, and he's you know fully into that voice that he does now. <laughs> so that was a pretty good one, though. Thank you. All right, I'm very impressed with your impersonation <laughs> skills. So, um, what else do we have this week? Oh, well, this past weekend, uh, we were both at Monster Mania in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. Yes, we were. Um, and uh, among other people, we met uh, separately Malcolm McDowell, who we all know and love or hate from Star Trek Generations <laughs> as Sauron, who is responsible for the death of Captain Kirk. He he is. He is responsible. <laughs> I have my picture with him. I didn't ask him about it, 
but I did get uh, an autograph signed by him uh, over the uh, one of the screen grab of, of him and Shatner facing off in their their final scuffle there near the end of the movie. So um, I'm not sure what what uh, what image did you pick? I got a, a more generic shot of of, of his character, um, you know, just sort of a headshot of his character, but it cool. was a, a, a grab from the movie. Nice. Um, and he, he did sign it. And, um, I actually did ask him about the movie. Um, a, a, a majority of the climax of that movie takes place in a very desert like environment. It does. And I asked him, I, you know, what it was like to film out in those elements. And he basically said, um, it was a beautiful, beautiful place to, uh, to experience and to, uh, to film in, but it would not be a place where he'd want to live. Yeah. I, can see that yeah i yeah, can yeah. see that mm-hmm. so you know funny thing after meeting up with him there and uh you know uh, thinking back on generations i didn't go back and watch the movie again i haven't watched it in a while but i did go online and look up um some of the alternate uh takes on kirk's death oh wow and uh, there are there are a couple other ones out there uh you know getting shot in the back stuff like that but, well that uh, was the original one and yeah. then i from what i remember they uh they showed that to a test audience and there was a, a damn near riot. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I I think that's the reaction that I think the riot reaction might have been a better reaction than the oh mm-hmm. reaction when he fell, you know, on that piece of metal scrap and and kind of just yeah, it just seemed now I I don't I I remember seeing Generations in theaters opening night mm-hmm. and Me too. I I want to say that I I knew that. Kirk was going to die. I don't remember if at the time in the press they were sort of advertising that. I think but, they did. Yeah, because it was something that I was definitely prepared for. Mm-hmm, me too. Uh, and and I remember, you know, being satisfied with the way it was presented in the final version of the film. Really? I mean, not that you ever want to see Captain Kirk die, but he died doing something heroic. He died saving the day. Um, and I think the Kirk character carried a lot of weight in that movie where he spends a lot of time Sauron sort of not being afraid of Picard. And then you get that shot of, of Kirk's boot coming down and what does Sauron do, but turn around and run. (laughs) Yeah, that's, that's true. But I will say one thing during my search for these alternate deaths, I did come across an interview with McDowell who actually says that he felt that Kirk deserved a better more prolific death than the mm-hmm. one he got. Mm-hmm. So, but um, it's 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 weird because they were in a tough spot. It was you know it was the next generation movie. They were sort of bridging the gap between the original mm-hmm. series and sort of passing the you know the baton over to the next generation cast. It, it, it had to be handled in a way where you don't make it all about Kirk, which is very tough to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think they had a, a a definite balance there. They sort of had to uh, had to keep. And, um, maybe, maybe. you know, I'm, I'm anxious to talk about that, about that movie with you eventually, you know, mm-hmm. uh, if, and when we ever get to it, um, I mean, we have a lot <laughs> of stuff to talk about before yeah, then, yeah. but, uh, I mean, ideally we'll be doing this podcast for, for, for months or years to come and yeah, we will get yeah. to a point where we talk about generations. We certainly so uh, will. We I'm sure we'll have a, a, a full length episode discussion of that at, at yep. some point. Yep. Yep. We, I, yeah, we definitely will. So mm-hmm. I'll save the rest of my comments until then. <laughs> So this week we're talking about The Naked Time, though. Yes, yes, sir. And I guess you have some of the air date information. Yeah. So the original episode aired on September 29th of 1966. And the uh, remaster, which we are watching, 
aired on September 30th of 2006. That would make it almost 40 years to the day since its original air date. Great stuff. So do we have the plot synopsis? Yeah, I'll give you a real high-level one. The Enterprise crew is intoxicated by an inhibition-stripping contagion, which causes mayhem throughout the ship. And we get a lot of really – we do get a lot of mayhem yeah. in this. We get uh, Sulu with a, with a sword, a, a shirtless, and we get some really, really great uh, Kirk stuff. So it's going to be a fun episode to talk about. Yeah, definitely. And the, the iconic image of Sulu with the, the rapier that's a, a still in a lot of the uh, end credit sequences on these episodes. Is, this is the iconic image of Sulu, the shirtless, shiny Sulu <laughs> that we see all the time. So, And uh, yeah, and George, George Takai himself loves that, that little bit he got out of this episode. Yeah, so we actually wanna... share, we're going to share a little bit of a, yeah. his thoughts on this episode yes, when we, we are. Uh, when we get to uh, some of those scenes. All right. So are we ready to get started with the episode? Or sure. Do you have anything count, else to talk about? No, no, count us down. All right. And we will start the episode in three, two, and one. All right. Welcome. So a couple of interesting things before we get started with this episode. Um, one uh, really interesting fact about this episode is that uh, this is the only episode in the entire series that all three recurring female characters appear together. Oh, wow. So, so you got, have what, Uhura, uh, yeah. Nurse Chapel, and, and Yeoman Rand. Yeah, wow. This is the only episode until Star Trek The Motion Picture. Uh-huh. They never appear in the same episode, all three of them again. Oh, wow. That's cool. So, yeah, very, very cool fact about this one. I really, I thought that was very, I never even realized it until uh, until I, I, I watched this earlier uh, to prepare mm-hmm. myself for this. And also, uh, another thing to watch out for in this episode is uh, Crewman Riley mentions that the Enterprise has a bowling alley on it. <laughs> awesome. We never see the bowling alley, yeah. but he mentions the fact that there's a bowling alley on the Enterprise. So uh, among some of the other mysterious uh, areas of the Enterprise that you never see, like uh, supposedly Scotty has an office somewhere, mm-hmm. but you never see that either. So... Um, we see uh, some interesting uh, away suits they're wearing, environmental suits that they're wearing here. Yeah, they're on this and, frozen... Uh, this frozen mannequin. <laughs> yeah. the, I'll bet you early on when this show was first broadcast that you couldn't tell it was a mannequin. Oh, uh, but sure. here on the on the Blu-ray that, yeah. that we're watching... Yeah, a strangled mannequin. Yeah, and... you can easily see. Yeah. It's interesting that they are in some kind of, um, you know, uh, protective gear. Um, I'd say on a majority of the episodes when they beam down... Um, they're beaming down in in their in their uh, their uniforms without any kind of l- layer of protection. Yeah, and you know, here's another thing. This is how many countless movies and TV shows I've seen this happen in. Some idiot who's wearing protective <laughs> outfit takes a part of it off, and all hell breaks loose. Yeah. So here he goes, got an itchy nose. And off comes the glove. <laughs> he's not wearing a protective environmental suit for any particular reason, and he's going to scratch his nose. And, and he's not going to. He's going to put. He's going to touch the. He's going to leave his glove off. Yeah. He's going to leave his glove off, and uh, here we're going to see him uh, get infected with this red goop. Yeah, there it comes. They're doing and, some kind of reverse photography, and boom! And there it is. There you go. And the rage virus is transmitted yep and it it absorbs right into his skin quickly 
He just, smells his hand. He gets a nice whiff of it. Puts the glove back on and pretends like it didn't happen. Sure. I mean, that's a natural human response. Oh, sure. <laughs> if it was made in the 80s, you could almost say that it was kind of a, a metaphor for the, the AIDS epidemic. Yeah. <laughs> So they're trying to figure out here what's what caused this uh, planet to freeze over and everybody to die, and uh, roll the intro. Yeah, we get a nice so, little stinger before the uh, before the uh, the intro. Yeah, so the uh, the stinger that we got is it's not revealed exactly what happened yet, but we're going to find out that this is uh, the first Star Trek episode to deal with a mass viral outbreak. Mm-hmm. So that's our central theme for this episode, um, and. There's some other uh, little sidebars that are going to come up about this that uh, will hit as they happen. Mm-hmm. But uh, the virus, this this episode is kind of a popular one because of what the virus seems to do to people. As we'll see as the episode wears on, uh, it affects people in different ways. So uh, you're, depending on who you are and what your personality is, uh, you have some very interesting effects from this uh, virus. Mm-hmm. And so, it was also an, an episode that sort of spawned a sequel. There was a, a Next Generation yes. sequel. Yep, um, The Naked Now, I believe yeah. it was called. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so so anytime that happens in the series, the yeah. original episode instantly becomes sort of important. Yeah, absolutely. So the planet, again, here we see another uh, situation where they're, they're orbiting a planet that's not really given any sort of specific name. It's just PSI two thousand. Mm-hmm. It's not a Rigel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's it's a just a, a letter distinction and a number. W- what that number means, I've always wondered that. I mean, two thousand seems like an awful lot of planets. If that's the two thousandth planet. And look at the transporter doing double duty here. It is as uh, a decontamination yes. unit. So that that doesn't happen often either. Mm-hmm. And now look at the bridge here. We've sort of got well, Scotty in his rightful place in a red shirt. <laughs> Yep. Um, you've got Sulu at at the helm. In my opinion, if this is the first episode of the series, or this could be a good first episode of the series. Let me let me restate. Yeah, that. it could be because you got you got introductions to there's, all of the characters. Yeah. All the females are here. There's McCoy, and you got Doctor McCoy, um, who disappeared for an episode. He and did. is now back. Scott Spock's pulse is two forty two. And his blood pressure is non-existent. So, but he is a Vulcan. His physiology is quite different, and McCoy is pointing out his green blood as and, he'll do many more times. Yeah, and there is the Spock visually that we pretty much have gone on to know uh, in the in the in the the past fifty years. Yeah, I like that that all black outfit that Spock's got on yeah. too. Uh, it's interesting if you if you see the two thousand and nine Star Trek reboot film. You see that Kirk wears a black outfit like that for mm-hmm. most of the movie, actually. Yeah. So he's not actually an official crew member, but he's in this all black outfit. So I wonder, wonder if that was a throwback to these sort of uh, informal undergarments that these guys were wearing underneath their shirts. Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me, uh, you know, knowing that the uh, the writers on that project were were pretty big Trek fans. So um, we're seeing some early effects here of this uh, virus mm-hmm. and how it's affecting. Here's uh, Nurse Chapel. Yes, Majel Barrett making her uh, her first official appearance um, after uh, appearing as number one in the in the unaired pilot. 
So the telltale itching, we'll see. Yeah, and there's Rand. There's, there's Yeoman Rand. I'm going to review some record tapes of the uh, the frozen people down yeah. here. Really, really cool visual. I mean, yeah, um, for the time, the effect talk is really aside, nice. Um, the the person hunched over the uh, the desk there, it almost has sort of like an um, an alien like yeah. um, effect, like an alien when they go down to that that planet and they they see what is now referred to as the engineer, um, sort of at that that's you know melted into that station and. That sort of visually reminds me of, you know, sort of the atmosphere they created in, in, in Alien. Yeah, and you wonder how much uh, this show influenced all of the other sci-fi that we've seen after this. Because you see elements like that mm-hmm. of things that you're seeing here in Star Trek. So, yeah, you know, it's it's always kind of cool to, for, for me to watch uh, sci-fi movies Pre, and shows yeah. uh, pre-Star Trek and post-Star Trek? Pre and post. And yeah. see, you know, Star Trek really was the first uh, science fiction program to take itself seriously. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's the thing. It sort of bridged the gap between what was going on in literature because, you know, right. there was a lot of really, really good sci-fi mm-hmm. um, written in the 50s and 60s. Uh and, you know, Hollywood, like you said, was sort of dabbling in the the campy side of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, Lost in Space. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, yeah. So I think that's a large part of Star Trek's lasting appeal and lasting success is the fact that it takes itself seriously. Mm-hmm. You know, the characters take themselves seriously. You have you're dealing with serious issues. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't break down into camp uh, with the exception of, oh, sure. you know, a couple of episodes. Mm-hmm. Where you see things and you kind of groan. Yeah. And I think ultimately that's why this entire series, Mm -hmm. not just the the original series, but anything branded Star Trek sort of attracted the audience that it did. Yeah. You know, because it, it didn't insult the audience and it sort of, you know, brought these these themes to a sort of a popular light in terms of, you know, presenting smart science fiction. Um, you know, on primetime TV. Yeah. I... <laughs> and here we go. You know, he's got his like, um, it almost looks like room service. <laughs> and here's uh, Sulu. They're talking about a fencing fencing. Yeah. The, the athletic benefits of, yeah. of, or the physical benefits of, of fencing. And, uh, you know, it's a, something that Sulu carried over into the reboot films. Yes. That he is a fencer. Yeah. So and look, now they're they're talking about how last week the the subject was bought his hobby was botany. Yeah. And now it's uh, now it's fencing. Mm-hmm. There is an interesting little sort of uh, George Sakai Sulu fencing um, tidbit here. Um, the writer approached George Sakai and asked him if he had any experience fencing, and you know, being the eager actor he was, he said, "Yes, I I can totally handle that." Having never picked up a you know a sword yeah. before, so yeah. he had he had to rush on over to the Falcon Studios in Hollywood oh. for lessons to prep wow. for this episode. <laughs> I also heard that uh, I heard that he uh, they had asked him to take his shirt off so they could see what he looked like, and he was so uh, he was so into the idea of this episode that he was doing push ups yeah. off screen. <laughs> Uh, to pump himself up and to, to to shape his chest a bit. Yeah. So so, so now we get this really really interesting speech from uh, Tormellon, uh, who is is 
sort of questioning if man belongs in space. And and you know what? He 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 kind of makes a interesting he argument. Does. He really does. Because you know, you, if you think about it, how many situations this crew gets into over their uh, five-year mission? Mm-hmm. You know, if they if they'd have thought about this stuff ahead of time, maybe uh, they'd have been a little more careful. Mm-hmm. You know, luck has saved them many times. Yeah. And, but but Tormelin's talking about, hey, you know, it's not space isn't ours. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why they have the prime directive, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, and, and we have a little Harry Carey moment here. Yeah, yeah, he's. But he's gonna kill himself with a butter knife. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That might not be a really great way to go. Yeah, I, I'd imagine there are definitely uh, better ways to do it. Yeah, for sure. So that's Riley, a, Riley grabs his hand and, and, uh, and Sulu now comes in. That's how they're going to get their infections. But, you know, it's never really clear how it's transmitted because uh, later on, you know, we'll see a situation where we would think it would get transmitted, but it doesn't. Yeah. So is it – It's and now we see that uh, – yeah. He stabbed himself, and, uh, yeah. Calling for the medics. Calling for the, and now the... the Riley's already he's noticed. already got it. Yeah. The itchy hands. The <laughs> itchy hands. I'll tell you, I've been there before. I, I You know, when you have an itch, man, mm-hmm. no matter how much you scratch yeah. it, man, is that annoying. It is, isn't it? So if you think, you know, this kind of reminds me, this virus and the way that it affects people kind of almost reminds you a little bit of uh, 28 Days Later. Okay. They turn into angry, you know, uh, yeah, the, well, not the, the, zombies who are, are yeah. out to, to bite each other, rip you apart, but it does kind of make them a little bit mad. Yeah, I think it also, it, it ties into your, your personality because we'll see mm-hmm. later on when Riley starts showing the effects of it. He gets kind of like happy-go-lucky with it. Yeah, his little singing across the... Uh, but Sulu gets a little bit homicidal. <laughs> yes, that's a good point. Um, Spock gets a little bit uh, self uh, self uh, reflective. reflective. He, yeah. he turns way inward. So um, I guess now's as good a time as any to sort of go over the behind the scenes people sure. on this episode. And this is an interesting episode in the sense that it was written by one of uh, the associate producers of the first ten episodes. Oh, John D. F. Black. Nice. Um, he also wrote for Mary Tyler Moore Show, Hawaii Five-0, The Fugitive, Mission Impossible, Mannix, and Charlie's Angels. Wow. And he also co-wrote the film version of Shaft in 1971. Hey. And uh, he also had story involvement on the Next Generation sequel, if oh. quote-unquote sequel, to this episode. Um, it was directed by Mark Daniels, mm-hmm. who also directed The Man Trap. Mm-hmm. He died in 1989. Oh. So... Now, speaking of death, um, interesting facts. McCoy is, uh, they're sort of doing, uh, again, sort of primitive (laughs) medical procedures. Yeah, it's it's hit and miss, but you don't really, they're wearing gloves and plastic sleeves in this one, and that's something that you really don't see. Yeah. That's the only thing that sort of holds this episode back from really fitting in with the rest of the series. Mm, or the well, established the series. Yeah, I mean it's you got a respirator here. Yeah, that it seems like it's you're getting a transition from. Mm. Um, it says disposable on it too, yeah. nonetheless. You're you're seeing a transition from what uh, a little bit of carryover from what medicine might have looked like in the '60s when this was written, and what they thought medicine should look like 
Wait, is that a blowtorch? <laughs> yeah, I know. Where it should look like later on in the future, right? Yeah. That looked like a hell of a lot like a blowtorch to me. Apparently it was not, but... And there's Riley itching and itching and itching, Yeah, man. Sulu was itching a little before there, too. Yeah, he's telling Sulu to compensate for the uh, the change in gravity. So things are not looking good. The beeping has stopped. All right, so they got a steady orbit. But you see some sweating going on here. Yeah. I mean, another telltale sign. Mm-hmm. And now McCoy's um, getting kind of perplexed because mm-hmm. every indication is that um, the wounds weren't fatal. Mm-hmm. And there's no reason that they should be losing um, Tormolin, uh, but they are. And yep. uh, he's ultimately going to die. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it really uh, has sort of McCoy in, in a quandary. You know, it, an interesting thing that, to, to note about this and the fact that this is a, a Star Trek episode that deals with a viral outbreak. You think of how far in the future Star Trek is supposed to be set. Mm-hmm. But you realize how this virus is being transmitted <laughs> despite the fact that they're much more advanced technologically and yeah. medically. Uh-huh. Viruses can still find a way to be easily transmittable between people just like they are today. So you can see how this virus is starting out with one guy making a mistake and and getting it and then unknowingly passing it to two other guys who happen to touch him. Mm-hmm. And now it's going to spread throughout the ship until uh, you know we can figure out how to stop it but this is this very closely follows the way that viruses would transmit themselves today so uh, from a from a storytelling standpoint it's it's pretty uh, accurate whether yeah. or not the virus is possible in mm-hmm. in real life we don't don't really know but uh, it's it's nice to see that uh, even in the future with medical technology we're not going to be out of the woods when it comes to uh, these types of uh, contagious infectious diseases yeah. and the sweat is getting worse yeah sulu's uh, actually mentioning now that uh <laughs> and sulu's just about to completely lose it he wants to go down and do some fencing yeah, the, so the he, hell with flying the ship yeah boom he, he's abandoning his post and riley's sort of still keeping it together and there's Sulu. And he's running while Spock's not looking. <laughs> Mr. Spock is not looking. Yeah. While the cat's away. Mm-hmm. So now they're going to discuss a little bit about uh, yeah. what happened at Tremolin and. Uh, yeah, McCoy's basically going into the fact that there was. Uh, he, he, there was nothing physically that should have caused him to die, and that it's the fact that he wanted to die. Yeah, he he that he led went to the, his death. He went the Padme route, <laughs> <laughs> lost the will to live. Right, and that one just of our was many it. Star Wars, Star Trek comparisons. Yeah, yeah well. well, that's another thing. You know, I mean, it, it, it's funny that there's you know fandom is often split between Star Wars and oh, Star sure. Trek, and uh, yeah, I, you know, I I probably personally lean towards Star Trek, as do I. But Star Trek. Uh, Star Wars is very, very much a part of my life. I mm. think if you're our age, it's hard for it not to have been. Oh, sure. Um, and in fact, right up until earlier this week, the mm-hmm. um, wallpaper on my my phone was the Death Star. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Well, my my wallpaper on my phone uh, has been the Enterprise from Star Trek Five for you know a month or two now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't I don't know if it was really going to change for a while, but uh, I kind of like the way it it looks on the screen. Oh, and here's Riley 
spouting a Irish brogue. Yes. And Riley is um, played by uh, Bruce Hyde. And I found an interesting little bit about him on oh, the internet really? <laughs> um, that might be of more interest to me and you than to our general audience. Um, in Las Vegas, for a period of time, there mm-hmm. was the Star Trek experience, which was really cool. It was at and, the old Hilton Hotel. And we've been there. Yeah. and it More was, than once. It was sort of a, a museum. And also, uh, it had two sort of interactive rides, sort yep. of like Star Tours at Disney. Yep. Um, and Bruce Hyde, who plays Riley, has an uncredited appearance in the Klingon encounter. Really? <laughs> yeah. So, unfortunately, Get we can't go here. back and, um, uh, you know, know, go to Vegas I... and, and watch him. In it's a it. shame. But, and also... Um, the character of Riley, not to spoil what happens to him, right, um, right. is going to pop up in one more episode, which is kind of neat in, in the sense that we have a, a guest star crew member who sort of appears again. Huh. You know, it's it's a shame that that Star Trek experience closed. I was really disappointed when that went down. We, we've been there together, what, twice we were there together? Yeah, I believe, yeah. We And, and the, the, the second and final time, time was right a month before they closed. Yeah. And, um, and the interesting thing about that is they closed at such a weird time. Because they did. the reboot did. was ready to, was you know, was getting ready to sort of hit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Feasibly, Star Trek Mania was 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 gonna be as high as it had been in, in yeah, quite a really. few years, and for whatever really. reason, the Hilton decided they didn't want to do business anymore. Yeah, I... um, and uh, so it was kind of surreal no. being there. The you know the couple weeks we were before they closed because the place was slowly being dismantled. It was um, a lot of the it and was. there's Sulu with his uh, his buff physique. <laughs> classic and you know and, and the, the the still shot of him made it into the ending credit sequence yeah uh, many times but you know going back to vegas again you know some some things that stand out in my memory about the last time we were there was that wall that oh. they had of all of the the goodbyes yeah the that wall people had written was yeah. there, and it, it was actually very touching it you know, was. people it was, yeah people often uh, i find that when i mention that i'm a star trek fan often people will uh, kind of read into that that you're you know you're a nerdy kind of dorky person but yeah. when you read reading the some of the really heartfelt things that yeah. people had written on that wall the connections people yeah, made and, through and how, that place right and how much the show uh the the characters and mm-hmm. the different series affected their lives yeah and you realize just how special this the, not only this series but all of the other star trek yeah, series yeah. and movies really were to people how mm-hmm. these things really resonate yeah, yeah. And actually, I think um, we can probably go through our archives and, and uh, you know, post a picture up on the website of, of oh, that definitely. wall. I know I, I, I'm pretty sure I got some pictures of it. Um, I have quite a few, too. Mm-hmm. I have quite a few, too. Mm-hmm. So we have uh, – we'll definitely be posting our pictures with the uh, various monsters they had. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, as, we're going to have post those. As those episodes appear. Yep. And uh, we do have some other random – I have some great pictures of the Enterprise model, the large yeah. model that was hung from the ceiling. I have some great pictures of that. Yeah. Uh, even though they they frowned on you taking pictures in there, we still snuck a bunch yeah, of pictures. Yeah, yeah, I, I do remember me. Uh, yeah. have, I have my picture. Uh, and actually, I think this was a picture that was taken on film on my disposable camera. Wow, <laughs> Before man. I had gone digital of um, me at um, Spock's burial tube. 
Oh, really? um, yeah. Nice. Actually, I think I have a digital version of that too that I got. Very so cool. yeah, there were a lot of really cool props on display, and that's oh, when you great. sort of saw that a lot of the props were sort of just painted wood, which yep. is really really neat. And it's a shame to think that it was dismantled and sort of, um, you know, all that stuff mm-hmm. went wherever it went. Um, and there was talk for a while, and there's yeah. the Sulu on the bridge. There was a yeah, there was a talk. There was talk for a little while. Of they were going to reopen it downtown. Downtown, and we were yeah. amped. We we're like, this is going to be great. We mm-hmm. can go back, and we'll see the new location. And yeah. then it just kind of fizzled out. And last I had read, some of the pieces had gone someplace, and the yeah. other pieces had gone someplace else. And you know, the rides had been sent. I think yeah. it went overseas somewhere. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, they were really cool rides. The um, the Borg. See, Here's an interesting. Yeah. Now you'd think Uhura would get it. Yeah. Oh. But she doesn't. Yeah. Because you know he was he exposed yeah. and there, skin. This is and this is where Spock gets it, right? Isn't yeah. It? But also that's the first moment in Trek the neck, where he uses the the, the, the nerve pinch. I was on a a podcast a couple months ago, the Idle Chatter podcast. A really good bunch of guys. Nice. Um, and we were talking about sort of Captain Pike and how a lot of people, oh yeah, you know, yeah, um, I listened to that one. You know, saw the J.J. Abrams movies and might not have realized that Pike was an existing character. Yep. So, um, at the time, I was asked if that was the first episode, the Menagerie Part One and Two, where Spock used the, the nerve pinch, and I did not know. And now I will say I will never forget that the Naked Time is the first episode where Spock used the nerve pinch. So next time, uh, that little bit of Trivia is is uh, thrown down my way. I will yeah. be able to answer it. You know, and you know, what we really need to do too is is look at the order in which they were recorded. Oh, and see if it's truly and see which where where it falls in the production order. Yeah. Um, so we can really figure out how early on Spock was given the that what could yeah. arguably be between that and the mind meld, which can arguably be his best ability. I think the neck pinch has saved them. More times oh. than we can possibly count. Mm-hmm. The, the the mind meld has also been a great tool, but I think the neck pinch is his defining mm-hmm. move. So now we, we sort of have a beat the clock scenario there. Mm-hmm. The ship is basically, Riley has sort of disabled it, um, and they've got 19 minutes uh, of, of power left or of, of life support left. So, um, and Scotty's basically realized that the only way to sort of get control of the the engineering room is to uh, is to access a panel that's behind the wall. So, mm. um, um, while we're here in engineering, it's worth pointing out that this episode establishes yet another way to wrest control of the Enterprise. So you can do it from the bridge, or via, engineering. and you can do it via engineering. Yeah. So uh, now Riley has done it via engineering. So it'll happen again too through engineering. But uh, interesting way to keep track of uh, all of the different ways that you can seize control of the Enterprise. If you ever find yourself in a position where you can do that. Yeah. All right. So um, where are we? we're back in uh, we're back on the bridge again. We're trying to figure out how to cut off Riley, who's uh, spewing nonsense. Yeah. And he's calling himself captain, captain. which is kind of. Uh... Well, he took over. So I guess he is. Uh, oh, and there's of, the bowling alley reference. There it is. See, <laughs> they're gonna have a formal dance at the bowling alley. <laughs> so they still have formal dances, and there's a bowling alley somewhere on the ship. And we are now down to 17 minutes, and we see things are getting dire. And another convincing camera shake moment. Mm-hmm. They got really good at this. Yeah, really, really good at that. 
Um, and as you notice, at this point, the uh, the captain's chair no longer has the uh, yeah the, the crane <laughs> the, the neck. Lamp. Uh, yeah, you can't order uh, you can't order a burger and fries anymore. So we need to figure out a way to get into engineering. Yeah, and then um, at the same time, McCoy's also been tasked with finding a way to sort of inoculate or or or, or vaccinate and cure people that are suffering from this uh, from this mm-hmm. uh, this virus. Yeah, and you know, if you look at this, is another demonstration of medical technology in the Star Trek age. They seem to be able to isolate and come up with cures for things in a really rapid pace. Now, now today it takes you know months and years mm-hmm. to come up with 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 cures or vaccines. You know, and, and here, thanks to you know, it, uh, is it McCoy? Well, I mean, is it technology? Is it a combination of the two? I mean, mm-hmm. do, do other ships in the fleet have doctors who are capable of of you know curing everything they come across? I would argue that. McCoy is in the top percentile of mm-hmm. of doctors in Starfleet, much like Scotty is in the top percentile mm-hmm. of engineers. Yeah, so Kirk, the, the, the the Enterprise is yeah. pretty much the boss of the fleet. Yeah, Kirk lucked out <laughs> with this crew, but uh, so but it seems that McCoy's ra- uh, his success rate with curing ailments and illnesses is very very high. So we'll, we'll I think we'll only see through the course of the series. I think there's maybe one. One thing that McCoy couldn't cure, and I think that comes up in season three, I believe. But uh, so Scotty's trying to reroute uh, some controls. Mm-hmm. It's another really strange-looking implement there that Spock is using. Yeah, it almost looks like an old school, and and I'm gonna, you know, probably date 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 out uh, a lot of people here, but. Uh, an old label maker. Remember, yeah, remember where you would yeah, turn, you the, turn dial the dial and, and press click down. the thing? Yeah, I remember those. <laughs> before the brother P-Touch. Uh... <laughs> yeah, yeah, before the P-Touch revolution. Yeah. Uh, and there's the, uh, you and know, here... this is the first mention of a bulkhead, too, yeah. by the way. And Scotty's cutting through it with a with phaser. phaser. And more crewmen now are being affected, and they're, uh, mm-hmm. they're painting, apparently doing some graffiti. Mm-hmm. Now, if I was Spock here... I would have nerve pinched them all as I walked by. Yeah, that probably would have been the prudent thing to do. Love mankind. And now we're going to see Yeoman Rand is being uh, sort of accosted by (laughs) this other crewman. He's told to stand aside. He he, uh, complies. But then as soon as Fox out of sight, he's back at it. And here, um, it's funny. They're um, carving Texas into the wall. <laughs> yeah, and Spock's gonna gonna say, you know, based at your speed, you're not at the, at your current speed, you're not gonna have time to do what you need to do. Scotty pleads that in order to stay safe, um, that's the speed they have to go at. And Spock says, well, you're gonna have to disregard safety. And 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 obviously, Scotty's more concerned with safety on the other side of the bo- uh, the bulkhead and not mm-hmm. of their exposed eyes. <laughs> <laughs> they're not wearing any kind of protective yeah, gear. Yeah, no. Yeah, and they're pretty much, you know, almost uh, like a plasma cutter, if you will. And sparks are flying all out of all of the walls. And he could have easily gotten sparks right in his eye. Yeah. So now we're, we're examining Sulu. And they have a biopsy lab. Mm-hmm. And it looks like, so it looks like the... The computer's doing some of the the work here. Yeah, the computer does a lot of the heavy lifting. Yeah, so McCoy's not, you know, I guess it's a matter of knowing what kind of data to feed it. 
and then it will spit some some stuff out. And here we also have a sort of the mm. the the medical quarters have sort of look a, a lot different than they did even last episode. Yeah, the walls are green. Yeah, and then also even the the sort of area, <clears throat> excuse me, that Sulu's on, it's not it doesn't look like a traditional hospital bed with sheets on it. No, no, not at all. And they notice they have restraints. Yeah, and there's also like that unicorn thing pointing down, which you can almost imagine might be mm-hmm. some kind of sensor reader. Yeah, we have Nurse Chapel yeah. is uh, starting to suffer the effects. Yeah, it almost seemed like she was going to let her hair down at that point. Uh, I guess one of the many wigs that uh, <laughs> she wore during the the course of Star Trek uh, yeah, between and this and uh, playing number one. You know, this this show this series has some epic female wigs. And male wigs. And well, yeah. Well, once we start to see Chekhov and his Davy Jones wig, but you know, Rand has uh, probably what I think is one of those ridiculous. It's wigs. glorious. It's a glorious, that unbelievable updo. And everybody's getting annoyed now by yeah. uh, Riley's incessant yammering. Yeah. And and Kirk does the the right thing here, and he and he does uh, apologize to Aurora for acting in sort of an uncaptain like manner. Yeah, the pressure is starting to get to everybody, I think. You know, 12 minutes left, and you got some lunatic who's uh, down in engineering, screwing up every effort you're making. And here, this is where things get kind of interesting. Now, this is really great because, you know, you're you're four episodes in, Mm -hmm. right? You're four episodes in, and Spock has gotten some attention from Uhura in Charlie X. Now he's getting attention from Nurse Chapel. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, McCoy has already had uh, a a sort of a a little romantic resurgence. Mm -hmm. But from here on out, it's all Kirk's territory, man. (laughs) They got their uh, they got their stuff early on. Yeah. You know, but but Kirk is in charge of the ladies from here on out. But, you know, I I think because the original intent was for Kirk and Yeoman Rand to have that ongoing relationship before they changed it. That's why we're not seeing Kirk getting as much uh, female attention. Mm-hmm. And here we're getting a lot of exposition that really is the, the that really explains Spock. Yeah, you know she she points out uh, that we we've mm-hmm. already known that he's get the look on Spock's he's, face. He's he's part human, mm-hmm. and that Vulcans su- suppress their emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's pretty important stuff. The human mistress, but she's appealing she, to the yeah. human side of Spock. And you know you you see there's some conflict here with Spock. Yeah. You know he he doesn't want to outright turn her away, but he knows that he can't he can't give that love back to her because he's should be incapable as a Vulcan, incapable of feeling those feelings. Mm-hmm. And this is sort of a cool indicator yeah. of internally mm-hmm. what Spock is dealing with. Throughout the yep. entirety of the series. Yeah. His... It's the constant battle between the sort of human side of him, the, you know, the emotion driven part and the logic part, the mm-hmm. logical part. Um, and even if we don't see it in other episodes, it's, it's, it's planted here that it's something that he's constantly okay. dealing with and constantly battling with. And it's part of who he is, which is a really, really huge character sort of trait. Yeah, it's and here he is. He's apologizing for the fact that he is the way he is. I think Nimoy 
does such a fantastic job with his character through all of the episodes and through all of the movies that mm-hmm. he was in. He he has mastered that character, mm-hmm. that conflict between both sides. Mm-hmm. And actually, coming up in this episode, we're going to see uh, a, a, a breakdown here. Oh, yeah. Where his... Uh, his human side is starting to win out with the help of the virus. So the, the virus here is affecting him differently than it affects the others. But it's it's uh, it's bringing out the emotions that yeah. he worked so hard to suppress. Yeah, and he's kind of keeping it together while he's uh, in sort of in public, if you will. And there mm-hmm. he's letting out a, you know, he's, he's trying his best to keep it together. And then... Not a very easy mm-hmm. thing for him to do. And, yeah. you know, we'll see other times in the series that he's going to be faced with the same type of an issue where he's got to try to battle back. Mm-hmm. And now here is, and um, the, they've basically cut they've through. They've finished cutting Texas into the wall. Uh, yeah, Scotty's going to uh, quickly do what he needs to do. And, of course, it's cool enough for them to touch now. Oh, yeah. No problem there. And uh, they're going to go ahead and... and uh, Get their way into engineering. Yeah, and, and Kirk gives a cool command here. He says, "Make sure don't your phasers aren't stunned, mm-hmm. and also don't even don't shoot unless he's got a weapon." <laughs> yep. And Riley seems more concerned that there's not going to be a dance. Yep. And now we're going to have a little bit of trouble here, where uh, we've seen that Riley's actually shut down the entire uh, the entire engine, both engines rather. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, here's cl- finally Spock's. He loses it. And by the way, according to uh, Shatner's memoirs mm-hmm. on this, uh, Nimoy actually ad-libbed these parts. Oh, yeah he he wanted to do um, he wanted to really play up the emotional aspect of this mm-hmm. and sell that human side of himself to the audience. So he he ad-libbed this whole part where he's uh, kind of trying to convince himself he's chanting like a mantra I'm an officer okay. I'm an officer yeah that's very cool I didn't know that he does a really great job of selling it I think mm-hmm. I guess in terms of sort of memoirs mm-hmm. um, not surprisingly this is George Takai's favorite episode yeah. of the series while promoting his book in 1994 uh, in a radio interview with Peter Holder on CJAD 800 AM in Montreal, he said, when asked uh, what his favorite, if he had a favorite episode, he said, yes, without question, it's The Naked Time, where hmm. we see the swashbuckler in Sulu. That was great fun. So uh, if you're ever wondering uh, what cast members have Favorite episodes. We know that this is George Takai's favorite episode, and it's not hard to guess considering how yeah, much he, fun he gets to have. And he, yeah, his part in this episode has a little more meat than it does in quite a few other episodes. Mm-hmm. He, he, he. Sometimes he really seems to get downplayed, and not have a heck of a lot of lines, yeah. even though he, he's regarded as a major character. Yeah. Yet he's not really given a lot of opportunities to shine. This this episode was one of his great opportunities to to shine and show off his. His flair for that character. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And from a character standpoint, Sulu goes on to do great things in Starfleet. Oh, absolutely. He, he ends up captaining his own ship, the, the, Excelsior. What, the Excelsior. And uh, his, what, his daughter or his, uh, his daughter his turns daughter. up. 
um, in, in one of the movies. Mm-hmm. So uh, we'll have a lot to talk about when we cover all that stuff uh, as this podcast progresses. Here's a new challenge. So it takes we now know that it takes 30 minutes to start the Enterprise engines from cold state. Yeah. To, to ready to go. To so, join the, the matter and the antimatter. Right. Uh, you can't just throw them together, man. It's not like a Reese's peanut butter cup where no. you can instantly throw the chocolate and peanut butter and together. it works. No. <laughs> it, this this is not one of those situations. And 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 that was also an interesting line where Scotty had said, I, I can't change the laws of physics. But <laughs> yeah. Spock can. <laughs> as we'll see. So now there's a theory. Yeah, which, there's a theory yeah. that how you could you could rapidly start up, but it's a one in ten thousand chance, huh? Mm-hmm. It's a one in ten thousand. But chance. at that point, so, it's a chance you got to take. Yeah, it's a, well, it's a controlled matter antimatter implosion, huh? Mm-hmm. And here is basically Sulu being cured, and the doctor is successful, and he last remembers no being on the bridge, so he has no memory of it. And uh, give and give he, Nurse he, Chapel a shot too yeah. while you're at it, Doc. And he realizes he's not wearing a shirt either. <laughs> <laughs> so you can imagine his confusion. <laughs> yeah, water's changed to a complex chain of molecules, huh? And it's passed through perspiration. But, uh, but why didn't Uhura get it? Well, you know what? Sulu was not glistening with sweat there. Well, he was pretty glistening, man. <laughs> he was pretty glistening. So. Uh, I don't know. I I still think Uhura should have gotten it too, but that's okay. I'm not going to rewrite history here. Mm-hmm. Ah, so Spock is still lamenting. It, but did did Uhura touch him? Yeah, okay. her hands were right on yeah. his chest. Up. Uh, and now he's Spock is broken up about the fact that he could never tell his human mother that he loved her. An Earth woman. So now we know for sure. Yeah, that his mom was that his human. mother was human. So huge. Huge bit of character background there. Yeah. Which will come into play many more times. Actually, partially this defines the Spock character. <laughs> and, and a Kirk nice slap by yeah. Kirk. Is that the first time Spock called him Jim, too? Possibly. And he's basically... Uh-oh. Uh... So, you know, Kirk needs to convince Spock that he's got to help Mr. Scott create this explosion so here's a oh what a look <laughs> oh, by Nimoy wow and for anybody who would you know back then would wonder what a real fight between Kirk and Spike Spock might look like okay. thankfully we will get to see that in a future episode we will <laughs> and it's and he, well, he drew blood on Kirk too yeah yeah you know this is one of those shows that you know we, that people do things to Kirk that go unpunished like this, like Spock just pretty much bitch slapped them around <laughs> and up. And now Kirk also yeah. has the disease. Yeah. And how he fights it is, is really a, another great performance oh. uh, where you see that he knows as yeah. a captain, he's got to do certain things before this madness completely overtakes him. Yeah. yeah the, it, Playing it the only the way Shatner could do it, man. Only Shatner could pull this off. It's another reason why I don't think I don't think uh, Pike could have done these things. Mm-hmm. I don't think that uh, it would have worked as well had they not recast this. Had, had they not recast the captain with Shatner, mm-hmm. and he wasn't the first choice either. Lloyd Bridges was ahead <laughs> of him, right? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. 
Oh, so the intermix formula now. Uh, yeah, Spock's you know started doing uh, some kind of I guess his computations in his. Uh, and Kirk is professing his love for the Enterprise. Between time and antimatter, a flesh woman mm, to touch. So, mm, so we're seeing uh, you know some early evidence here of how much Kirk loves this ship. And there's a lot of references to the Enterprise being, uh, you know, you know his love or his his uh, where his heart is, yeah, and why he can't uh, why he can't have a relationship, a full time relationship with a with a woman is because he's, you know, in a relationship with the ship. Mm-hmm. And he's fighting it. He's fighting it. Yeah, you know that sense of duty. Yeah, yeah. That Kirk has. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he can't fight it for long. He knows he yeah. can't fight it for long. He's, it's a great job. He's putting on a, 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 a good face. So with Spock and Scotty on the way to engineering to try to figure out now, Kirk is talking about uh, we'll never lose the ship. Mm. Another recurring theme that will come back time and time again. And, uh, you know, so Kirk is heading back down towards the, uh, the turbo lift here yeah. to head back up to the bridge. Yep. You know, we've, we, have, we don't have a heck of a lot of time left. Nope. Sinner Repent. Sinner Repent. Painted so more, more, uh, more red paint graffiti mm-hmm. is going on here. But Sulu back yep. at the helm. The quick recovery. Yeah, yeah. I guess once you've been sort of, uh, you know, uh, given the cure and boom. McCoy, boom, rips the shirt right at the shoulder. You know, and that's another interesting precedent, too, is normally hypos can go right through your clothes. So was was that a was it for dramatic effect that he ripped the shirt or was this just an early mechanic? of the hypo where they haven't hadn't decided that it can just go through clothes Mm -hmm. or. Yeah. Or or also, you know, McCoy had mentioned that it transmitted via perspiration. So Mm -hmm. maybe he he didn't want to leave anything to chance (laughs) or maybe they just didn't feel like having to repair or replace all those shirts that kept getting (laughs) ripped every time a crewman needed a hypo. (laughs) So here we go. Yeah. Hyperbolic course. In direction Kirk is still recovering. Yeah, it's just... it's not 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 a quick recovery, but mm-hmm. uh... yeah, he was never as far gone as uh, as Sulu or, or O'Reilly. So uh, nope. that's the only good thing about it. Yeah. So so we have a, a here we're gonna see this is a really cool a really he great wants to scene. Reach out and touch. Yeoman Rand, but realizes that he cannot. It's almost like... Um, no beach to walk on. It's almost like sort of Spock denying his human mm-hmm. side. You know, it, you know, as captain, he's sort of denying that that part of himself. And you wonder what kind of a direction... I mean, that, that was obviously uh, one of the early uh, scenarios where we see that Kirk desires his yeoman. And, mm-hmm. you know, knowing that that was the original intent for her character to be a major player mm-hmm. in the show... And, you know, be Kirk's love interest. You know, it's interesting that to, that particular scene is interesting in that respect. Is It was a foreshadowing maybe of, of Kirk's inner conflict about, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he couldn't be with her. Oh, wait a minute. Yeah, there's a very high-pitched. As the ship is going down. Yeah. It's... And we're more great performance by Shatner. Mm-hmm. 
There's something going on in space. Mm, what? I, we don't know what it is. Yeah. Not sure. Was the implosion successful? And then we learn uh, an interesting little uh, sort of fallout from the uh, f- from what they did, um, and it's the first instance instance of uh, I time guess travel. What we could refer to as time travel in Star Trek, Trek. yes, yeah. Uh, and three minutes into the past, I believe. No, oh, no was it three uh, days? Three days. Three Sorry. days. Three, yes. Not three minutes. Three days. So, but you know what's funny is that uh, you know they use different methods to travel through time in this show, and this one being the first one they've discovered. Yeah. They never reuse this. No. Well, it's much cooler to slingshot around the moon. Yeah, see. I don't know. I, I think you know this is this would be a really good uh a good way to time travel. It's not quite as dangerous as flying that close to the sun, right? I mean yeah. and that is one of the remastered um yep, effects. effects that has been updated. Um, but that's also a very cool, subtle, not obvious, um, unless you've, you know, watched mm-hmm. and studied the original episode and Kirk realizes that they're only, they're, they're traveling backwards in time. It's amazing how the computer's chronometer would be able to know that they're going back in time. Well, just imagine the processing power, you know, I mean, look at the processing power computers that we have nowadays have. Can you imagine what they'd well, be like? But, you know, computerized clocks are just meant to tick forward. It doesn't it doesn't do any reading of time and space where you're actually at when it's changing times. It's just going in a in a you know in a fixed interval forward. So how would the clock and the computer know to roll itself backwards as they were going back? It would have to be programmed to know when it's going back in time. <laughs> I don't know, I mean, suspend my disbelief, but Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think there's time. Yeah, I, I think there's probably not going to be much debate here, but um, let's basically determine if the naked time is an essential Star Trek episode. All right. Once again, I will defer to you for oh. the first word. <laughs> Two episodes in a row, I will defer to you just in case we disagree again. Yeah. I got to say, um, I, I said early in this episode that if this was the first aired episode of the series, they would have started out in a very good position. I think um, Spock presented the way he is mm-hmm. um, is perfect and mm-hmm. gives us a lot of the information we need to, to know who Spock is as a character. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that this is possibly um, the first episode I would recommend to somebody who's sitting down to watch the series from the beginning. Hmm. So I would say uh, very much that this is an essential episode. All right. Very cool. Well, I'm happy to report that we don't disagree on this mm-hmm. one. Uh, for a lot of the same reasons, I, I think that you get really good uh, character development in this episode. Uh, not only that, but everyone is present. So mm-hmm. you get to see a glimpse of every character, every major character, even the ones who, who sort of get sidelined. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, Yeoman Rand, of course, yeah. gets sidelined. You don't see Nurse Chapel in every single episode. Mm-hmm. But it's great that you get to see everybody and get a little bit of a feel. So you get a, a, a feel for Kirk's uh, feelings for Yeoman Rand. Mm-hmm. You get you get Nurse Chapel's feelings for Spock. You get some flavor out of Sulu. You get some of the engineering heroics from Scotty. Mm-hmm. You get some great uh, conflict from Spock. You yeah. get Kirk's love for the Enterprise. I mean, you get a lot of great stuff in this episode. But it's also 
one of the uh, the Star Trek episodes that really has no discernible villain, mm-hmm. and it takes place almost exclusively on the ship. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of things about this episode to like, mm-hmm. and I definitely think that uh, this qualifies as an essential episode, uh, enjoyable from a lot of different angles. So uh, we are in agreement. Awesome, that. awesome. All and right. um, so once again, thank you for sitting down and watching Star Trek with us. Yeah, thanks a lot. Or listening lot. Uh, as we discuss uh, The Naked Time. And we will be back for another episode next, next week. Next week. Take it easy, everybody. Thanks a lot. Bloodied, or with my blood on your songs.